It's another week in comedy, and tonight we're checking in with two stand-ups dropping brand new albums and making big waves here at home and across the border. Can comedy records really save the world? I'm Dean Young, and we're about to go Inside the Joke. Welcome to Inside Jokes on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. You are listening to a brand new Inside Jokes, baby, right here on 640 Toronto and of course streaming coast to coast, Canada wide on the Global News Radio Network, brought to you of course by our good friends at Hakeem Optical, helping you spot hecklers in the crowd since 1967, or in the case this week, Helping you see somebody get open palm slapped in the face at the Oscars, apparently. I don't know what's, go- what's going on. We have our producer, Vince Tedesco, on the line. Uh, Vince, interesting interesting week in comedy. I mean, you know, there's a lot of crazy stuff going on in the world. Of course, tonight on our panel, we have two comics, one veteran here at home in Toronto dropping a brand new album, tackling some of this stuff. And a little later on, down in New York City, by way of Toronto, we've got Salma Hindi, also with a brand new album from our friends at Comedy Records. Uh, tackling a lot of this stuff but I mean what's going on in the news this week we're talking World War III we're coming out of the pandemic the festivals are relaunching and lining up again the clubs are open again and now you've got uh, Chris Rock at the Oscars getting open palm slapped by Will Smith for a I I felt like a pretty kind of a mild crack I mean he made a joke at and we're gonna get into this with our panel we're gonna get into this with uh, Cedric Newman but he made I thought kind of a light joke about jada pinkett smith should he be making fun of her alopecia no of course not uh definitely didn't call for the slap literal slap in the face that will smith charged on stage and delivered to him and then um i don't know vince when i i I don't watch the oscars i hate that stuff even though i host an entertainment show but of course you see this stuff all over the news and all over the internet at first it almost looked like a gag it reminded me of like old andy kaufman stunts yeah you know, until Will got back in the crowd and started yelling at him, keep my wife's yeah, name when the came out. It's when the F-bombs came out. It's that, when the F-bombs uh, came out. And to, to me, that was the more intense thing. Like, Will was like, okay, yeah, he's mad. <laughs> Chris, Chris Rock could have used a pair of Hakeem optical glasses to see that slap coming a mile away because it didn't it, it look like he was walking up, maybe saying something to him, maybe a little, hey, that joke was a love side, but then what? I definitely don't think he was expecting that. And I mean... You know, Chris Rock, I guess, in the 90s was kind of, he was an edgier comic. He was sometimes a little bit of a controversial guy. I mean, these days, he's kind of just another one of Adam Sandler's almost 60-year-old buddies doing, like, family-friendly comedies and whatever. <laughs> he's kind of toned it down. But you got to think, I mean, if Ricky Gervais was hosting the Oscars the way that he used to host the Globes, there would have been way more harsh jokes flying out than that one. I mean, that was 100%. a pretty... You know, that was a pretty mild thing. Anyways, I'm very curious to hear what uh, comedian Cedric Newman has to say about this, because obviously it's the elephant in the room. It's the hot topic that's sweeping across comedy. First up, a friend of the show we haven't talked to in a little bit. It was definitely mid-pandemic, but we're on to new crazy stuff now. Cedric Newman, who has a brand new album dropping. Cedric, how are you doing, man? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Can't complain. Sun's out, even though it's a little cold. (laughs) And I mean, last time we talked to you, you were doing, I think you were doing stand-up stitches. Yeah. Uh, with Keisha Brownie and of course we had you on Zoom and everything was sort of 
it was in that weird time where it was like things would be open one week and then shut down again and then reopen again. But now, of course, comedy clubs in Toronto and all across Canada are open again. The festival season is just around the corner and it looks like things are going to be back to big again, not just all digital, actual live full theaters and all that good stuff. Everything's selling out. But you, of course, have a brand new album, which I love the t- Black to Basics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I had to play with it a while and I just wanted to, um, I wanted to show my, this album showcases me, my family, and I start off with some COVID jokes on it. And it's something I wanted personal to me and something I've always wanted to drop and timings, everything. This was the best time to release this. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, you know, you've been at this a long time and we always talk to comics, like some comics, especially now because people could release everything digitally and there's so many independent labels that have sprung up in the last half a decade. But, you know, some comics will drop their first album a couple of years in. Some comics wait 20 years and they really take all their honed road and festival stuff and put it out there and, and, and kind of sit on it and, and keep honing and honing and honing. But every comedy album you do is really a snapshot of who you are as a comic in that exact specific time and sort of what your take was on what's going on around you at that. It's like a time capsule, really, every yeah, album. Exactly. So for you, I mean, you know, you're a club comic, you're a regular at Kenny Robinson's, of course, iconic mm-hmm. Nubian show, regular at Yuck Yucks here in Toronto. You've been a working touring comic for years. Mm-hmm. How much of a departure was this album for you? How much of a very specific sort of snapshot of you is this right now? Well, I dropped um, I dropped an EP first um, that was called Urban Nonsense, and that I recorded um, same month in December at uh, Kenny Robinson's Nubian show. I wanted something to showcase my Jamaican heritage and something urban, and that's why it's called Urban Nonsense. And it's an EP; it's twenty minutes long. It was just a teaser to my album, my uh, my LP. So I dropped a. If it was back in the day, one would have been a forty-five, and the other a thirty-three. If it was on record, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, so I dropped the forty-five first. And people said, well, what's the difference between uh, uh, the urban one? I said, well, it, it's it's Jamaican jokes that we could relate to. And that's and, you know, sometimes the, the regular culture, not regular culture, but white people can't relate to it. <laughs> <laughs> can't relate to it. And, and it's funny because, you know, sometimes I'll be, you know, driving in a car with a white person and, uh, you know, a white friend of mine and they'll be playing like Guns N' Roses and they like, I don't know the lyrics to these songs. And like, you don't know the lyrics to these. Like, I'm like, no, I didn't grow up around rock music. And, so, <laughs> and then I'll drop a rap song and they'll know all the words to it. <laughs> and I'm like, OK, OK, so you supported rap music, but then I'll drop a reggae song and they don't know who the artist is there. So the best thing is. Um, I, I could show you stuff that I grew up to music in my house and the same thing you could give me music, but you're not going to know all the words. And the same thing with this, um, with the Kenny Robinson, with my, my uh, heritage album is, is, is it's more for people that could relate to it. You know what I mean? Jamaican, the culturally wise. Well, and I mean, that's, you know, we've talked for years on this show about the Nubian show. I mean, it's a, such, such an iconic stage in Canadian comedy. And I mean, so many comics of your generation, that's really where you cut your teeth with on, was on that stage. And yeah. especially for Black Canadian comics, there there was nobody else producing a show like that for exactly. decades. There was no yeah. other stage like that. There was an audience coming out to those shows that didn't see themselves on stage anywhere else. It was sort mm-hmm. of, he built this thing for that crowd and for those comics where, you know, the comedy specials in Canada, we all grew up watching all this stuff from JFL every year. It was kind of like uh, the same General. Yeah, five yeah. Dudes, you know? <laughs> exactly and russell russell got his start on that stage also and it was able to us to voice our culture and that's what kenny robinson gave us that he gave us a place to voice our culture 
Which I mean, and I think that's one of, and I mean, Kenny's always been brilliant at this. It's, you know, you talk about how this album is very much, it's about your background. It's about your heritage. It's reaching out to that audience from that stage. Yeah. But it's also, I mean, Russell Peters is always a great example of this. I think Sugar Sammy's always a great example of this. It's being able to sort of take your roots and take your background and you have that specific audience, but you still make it have a broad appeal to everybody. So somebody yeah, who didn't yeah. grow up in that can watch this stuff and go, oh, okay, I get yeah. it. Yeah, and it pulls yeah, you into yeah. it. Yeah, and that's what the, that's what my EP did. And my LP just basically covered the rest of my life. And, you know, up until now, like I just wanted to get, I wanted to get personal on that. And it took, like you said, it took me 20 years to put this together. And it was, it was exactly where I wanted to be. It's not something I'm going to look back and say, I'm not proud of this. You know, this happens yeah. to people that do stuff three years in, like, oh, you know, they just dropped it to drop it. Or it's like uh, somebody wins a contest and tries to put on an album. They weren't ready. <laughs> you weren't ready. You got to hone. You got to hone a joke. You got to make it your joke. These are jokes that somebody can't jump on and steal. <laughs> you know exactly. I mean? I mean, it's 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 you. It's your voice completely out there. Yeah, it's interesting, yeah. too, because we're now, now that things are really finally reopened, all the lockdowns are done and all that stuff, the clubs are back and everything. We're now finally going to start seeing what material came out of all of this because during COVID it was obviously you know for the most part comedy was kind of on pause people were doing zoom shows and yeah. digital stuff but now is when you're going to see like your album we're going to see comics start talking about COVID and mm -hmm. and their take on this stuff and putting it to albums and putting it into specials all this stuff that's been sort of marinating for two years we're going to start seeing what came out of this now yeah, yeah. And I was I was able to be one of the first to do it. <laughs> Which you good. really are. I mean, a lot of the you know, we we've had comics in the last few weeks on this show dropping new albums out west from 604 records. And of course, comedy records is always pumping stuff out. But we really haven't quite yet seen comics tackling this stuff because everybody's been sort of on pause and sitting on yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, they were in a hiatus and trying to find themselves. And, you know, out of COVID for the last two years, you have all these people that are, are Zoom specialists, uh, not not Zoom, uh, TikTok. TikTok, yeah. TikTok specialist, and everybody all of a sudden could cook <laughs> or, or they found some hidden talent that they could balance. <laughs> so <laughs> this was a different, these two years, you, got, you had to dig into yourself or you were so bored, you had to find something to entertain yourself, you know? So I was, are you on TikTok? Huh? Are you on TikTok? Yeah, yeah, I, I'm I'm on TikTok and I do silly little things to make people laugh, but it, it's uh I don't try to find anything trending or or you know I'll put a, a bit up in here. TikTok you got to catch people in the first 20 seconds or yeah. 10 seconds. You try to go too long, it's not people just flip to the next TikTok. There's no formula to TikTok. And the people that do nail it and go viral on one, they won't go viral on another, they, but they created followers. That's right. our entire attention span now, especially after the pandemic. We need things fast. We're going to watch it in five seconds. It's like somebody took the ice bucket challenge and just said, let's make that an app. That's really <laughs> it's, it's eight. It's eight million people doing the same thing that the next person beside them did. So it's good exactly. To, exactly. Know, it's good to exactly. see comics actually making it their own. All right. We're going to come back from break with more Cedric Newman. And also, uh, Cedric, I got to pick your brain on the elephant in the room, the whole Will Smith, Chris rock thing i'm curious to hear your take on that and of course okay. more of the new album black to basics right here on inside jokes hi this is brian o'gorman and you listen to inside jokes on global news radio 640 toronto toronto 
like smoking Joe Fraser, the Hellraiser. Welcome back to Inside Jokes right here on 640 Toronto, brought to you, of course, by our good friends at Hakeem Optical, helping you spot hecklers in the crowd since 1967. We have comedian Cedric Newman on the line with his brand new album, Black to Basics. Uh, by the way, Cedric, of course, we were talking about Kenny Robinson's Nubian show before the break. Yeah. For you, during this whole pandemic, because I know you're also a regular headliner here at Yuck Yucks in Toronto, and what was what's sort of your home stage? Where were you really itching to get back to the most where you like to just go and drop new material? Like, where's your favorite uh, spot? I would say I, I'm downtown Yuck Yucks, I, and I had my own little uh, Jamaican room that I did on Thursdays where I, I could just go and be myself. You know, you don't have to worry about material. Because I, I tell this to the hosting your own show, forces you to write top you know the new topical stuff and you can still do material because a lot of comics if you keep going to one stage you will never grow as a comedian that's you right have to go and see different aspects different places you have to feel uncomfortable to get comfortable you, you know and if you stay in one room you'll just keep doing the same stuff and you won't grow you have to move around have it's, to. it's so true and i mean you know producing can be a pain it's its own art form but i mean a lot of comics always shied away from those hosting gigs i always thought it was the best of both worlds for that reason because you're getting feature amount of time you're forced to work on crowd work you have to interact with the audience you have to keep that vibe and that energy going and like you said you're kind of writing on stage because every week or every month, whatever it is, you have to tackle stuff in real time. That's as it's happening. That's where your writing is on stage as a host. Yeah, yeah, it makes you, it makes you sharp, it makes you sharper. And you know, the comedy bar, which I, I love that they, they do this, and people are just walking in off the streets, and you can do four or five shows in a night. But you know, uh, it's I, I find it's gonna make comics lazy because they're gonna be very clicky, hanging out for drinks in one spot, and they just jump from one room to another. <laughs> they're not like getting in a car and, and driving to a next room and driving to a third room. You're basically in the same house, <laughs> just running to another room. Oh, I'm gonna go to the bedroom. I go to the kitchen. Okay, I'm going to the room. <laughs> It is. Yeah. There's no more Greyhound. Like, that's what made you as a strong comic jumping on a bus, driving three hours, sitting in in the three back seats of the back, smelling shit. That's how you you become strong, not running upstairs to downstairs, right? You got to put in the work. It is true. I mean, we were talking about that with Montreal comics last week. Toronto is one of those scenes where, you know, a lot of comics, newer comics especially, can fall into that pitfall of. This is the the club where I'm comfortable. This is the audience I know. I kill in front of them every week. But Canadian comedy is all about mileage. It's a spread out country. It's about road work. It's about clubs and festivals. You come out of your comfort zone in those rooms you came out of and go talk to an entirely different audience and just sink. Yeah, yeah. It's so, so dead on. So dead on. <laughs> so, Cedric, speaking of dangerous hosting gigs... <laughs> <laughs> big, perfect segue you right the big elephant in the room of course everybody in comedy has, ta- has been talking about this for the last three days uh this is the big topic is of course you know it feels like there's always some new controversy of the week in comedy last couple of years it seemed for the most part to be pretty much always dave chappelle <laughs> but yeah. this week at the oscars this past week at the oscars of course will smith now infamously charged on stage and open palm slapped chris rock for kind of a throwaway joke i mean whatever he should have maybe made fun of jada yeah. pinkett's alopecia or whatever but it was pretty it was pretty mild okay it wasn't coming first of all it wasn't coming from a dark place it wasn't an alopecia no. joke it was a gi jane joke she's dressed in green she's bald and a comparison to demi moore who's really gorgeous when she took that role on too it it, it, it uh 
it, this runs deeper than that. This was like the straw that broke the camel's back. Yeah. So if you go back to the history, he made a he made fun of Jada boycotting, right? And she go, and then he made a joke back then. So he'd been ribbing them. And Will actually laughed at the joke and then looked at yeah. her eyes and then charged the stage. Now, my take on that, I wrote a couple of jokes that, you know, maybe he should have had Kevin Costner as his bodyguard. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember with, uh, when he was out there uh, de um, defending Whitney Houston and he was at the show, so he could have used that. And the other yeah. one was, uh, it's weird to, for me to see two billionaires having beef. You don't ever see Elon yeah. Musk going after uh, Bill Gates and slapping him. And it, it will has problems that run deeper. And I don't know how they allowed this. And I, I totally have um, even, I've met Chris Rock once, but as an artist and as a professional, I have even bigger respect for him because if I took a slap in the face, I would have turned into a little girl. Like, ah, why did you do that? He was, he was he solid. Took, he kept he going like a man and he finished yeah. what he had to do. I'm like, wow. And wow. And he made fun of me. Like Will Smith, Will Smith just slapped this and be like, oh, I have a new respect for him as a comedian because he handled that 110% better than anybody else that could have. And the funny thing, well, I mean, you know, first off, it's, you know, it's kind of hypocritical of the Smiths in the first place. Like, these are the people who are, they're, they're, they're so open about their private life behind the doors to an uncomfortable level. I mean, she literally hosts a talk show that her daughter co-hosts where she talks about how her and Will have affairs in an open marriage and the whole family discusses it in a round table. That is beyond <laughs> uncomfortable. So for people who are that... You know, they really put everything out there and it's kind of yeah. hypocritical in a way. I thought the funny thing was, though, you know, the way a lot of comics reacted, a lot of comics were going, well, this sets a bad president. Nobody was watching the Oscars going, hey, Will Smith just slapped that dude in the face. That's a good idea. I can slap, <laughs> you know. Yeah, but but to, to, on, on what you just said, bottom line is Will Smith is a role model, right? Yeah. And, and for him to, to lose his cool like that as a professional and, you know, you know, another joke is don't sit in the front row if you can't take a joke, right? <laughs> he should not. I, I do not back Will at all. I don't care how mad you was. I don't care how dirty the joke was. There's other yeah. ways you could have dealt with that. During commercial break, could have whispered to him, dude, I don't like that. That wasn't cool. He lost his shit and he thought, you know, are you bigger than God now? You think you could just walk out and slap somebody? Yeah. Come on. Yeah, and apparently. Then, <laughs> and then 20 minutes later, except the best actor thing. It, yeah, I mean, it, it was bad form. It's a global audience. It's a show that families watch. It was, it was the wrong reaction. It was the wrong time and place. It was handled poorly. I mean, yeah, now they're moving on from it. So whatever. Obviously, you know, next week it'll be something else. We won't even be talking about this anymore. But I mean, he didn't. He didn't. He didn't invent that reaction either. I mean, we've yeah. all seen comics get charged on stage. D Darren Frost here in Canada infamously had a pint glass thrown at his face in London, and I twenty years that. later, he's still talking about it. You know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, are, the, the memes aren't stopping. The memes aren't no. going to stop for a long time. <laughs> You've got to like, love the internet. You have to love the internet. It's yeah. It's, yeah. I wanted to uh, Photoshop one with him with a tennis racket in his hand. <laughs> <laughs> It's nice. You know what? I think I think it's nice for comedians to come together this week and talk about something finally that isn't COVID or nuclear war. It's great. Yeah, 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 yeah. With all the darkness out there, we needed we needed something like this. You know, Donald Trump was giving us, and they silenced him. He very much did. All right, Cedric. We could go on about this all day, but before we let you go, I want to make sure people can find this everywhere. So, new album, Black to Basics. Where can people find this, and where can okay. people catch you online? 
Okay, so I, ha I have the I have drop cards. Obviously, I'm going to be putting all of that onto my. Um, I have my website. It's called CedricNewman.com. And uh, and then on Bandcamp, which was released by Cottage Comedy Digital, uh, Tyler. So you could go on there and buy that one for ten dollars. And on my um, on my website for twenty dollars. And this is going to be the best twenty dollars you've ever spent. Excellent. I love it, man. <laughs> I, I'm excited to hear your take on some of this crazy nonsense that's been going on the last two years and it's good to just see you back out there doing what you do man cedric newman thank you so much everybody make sure you okay. check out black to basics cottage okay. comedy and hit up cedric newman online and then go see him live because that's a thing you can do again now thank you guys and i'll give you guys a free one you could share beautiful <laughs> thank you so much man thank you for joining us we'll catch you All live soon man thank you thank you Hey, this is Salma Hindi, and you're listening to Inside Jokes. New life for me. Ooh, 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 ooh. And I'm feeling good. Welcome back to Inside Jokes, right here on 640 Toronto, brought to you, of course, by our good friends at Hakeem Optical. The world might be stuck in 2020, and now your vision can be too. I'm bringing that plug back because terrible things keep happening worldwide. Thank you again to our good friend Cedric Newman. Don't forget to check out that new album, Black to Basics, and catch him live at Yuck Yucks in Toronto because live comedy is a thing you can watch again with human beings on stage talking to an audience. Imagine that. It's been two years of not being able to do that. We're switching gears now. We're going down to LA. We have comedian Salma Hindi also with a brand new album. I love this title, by the way, Born on 9-11. Yay. Uh, it, was, it was inspired by um, Trevor Noah's Born a Crime. I was like, well, same, but different. <laughs> Well, and it is very layered because, I mean, yes, you are coming to us from L.A. right now. You did stand up in Toronto, but you're, of course, also New York based. It's a very layered title because, I mean, you're talking about your own background. You're talking about the New York stand up scene. Of course, we live in a much different world the past two decades post 9-11. New York was the center of that. And I'm curious how much how much of your own background and how much of your experience has gone into this new album? Because one thing we were talking about with Cedric Newman earlier is you know, when a comedian puts out a new album, it really is, it's like a time capsule. It's a snapshot of who you are in your material in that moment, what your take is on what's happening around you in the world, which coming out of two years of live comedy, essentially being on mostly pause, comics right. have a lot of stuff that's just been sort of fermenting. Like it's all like, you're just sort of chomping at the bit to like, I got to talk about the pandemic. There's a war, there's race riots. There's so much upheaval going on. How much of this album is sort of pulled from your own personal life in this moment? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I mean, almost all of it is about my personal life for sure. And I think that, um, initially when I first got started, like I, uh, I, I, I feel like I was kind of a different person than I am now. Like, first of all, I was visibly Muslim. I wore the hijab, which is the head covering that Muslim women wear for a very long time. I wore it for 22 years. And so for me, it was like the lens in which I saw the world and in which the, the world saw me. And so I think a lot of my earlier content is, a, is about that, like about being a visible Muslim woman and, and navigating life in Canada and Toronto and what that was like. Um, and then at the time I was also like very much living with my parents and my family and uh, you know, like Arab families, you know, they, they like to get all up 
all up in your business. They like to get really involved, which I'm sure is the case for a lot of people, especially who are like coming from immigrant families and stuff. Um, so that made a big uh, like appearance in my comedy, especially early on. And then, you know, as my life experiences started to shift, so did the things that I talked about. Like, I think, I feel like I walked through the album a lot of my like for example me losing my innocence even against my my own liking and then dating and all that stuff and 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 then eventually kind of you know my my journey with religion and all of that um and then of course like when COVID happened it was inevitable like you couldn't evade it there there was a lot that was going on to comment about um and so I feel like in order to keep myself sane in the beginning of COVID I put out videos on Instagram and I also felt like it would be a good time to work on like my online presence and engagement and everyone was just available online so I started making jokes about it and it did pretty well and I was like mm, maybe I'll just include this in my real set uh so there are like there are a few COVID jokes off the top I think that um that I kept in there and I felt like was funny because it also related to like I was drawing analogies basically um between COVID and my Muslim experience or uh or or similarities that I found with COVID and and um in ways that people might not have thought about before so yeah well, even for you I mean coming you know working in the New York stand-up scene there's almost these weird flashbacks right now to you know speaking of your album title born on 9-11 there's sort of these weird parallels almost happening because I remember post 9-11 the New York comedy scene just sort of having this moment where they all paused and went is it okay to do comedy again is it okay to laugh again and then bouncing back from that and that scene coming slowly back to life we're sort of seeing that again in New York comedy post 9-11 New York was hit hard by the pandemic early on you know right. it's a city that is completely built around intimate small comedy clubs and a lot of those cult heritage places and right. sort of it's 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 like that again where New York's going all this insane stuff is happening in the world is it okay for us to laugh again and just watching that sort of come back to life right yeah no definitely um yeah it's very interesting like I think like for example everybody this week is going to be talking about like Will Smith and Chris Rock you know I'm going to come tonight <laughs> I'm sure there's going to be a bunch of people talking about it um yeah my my I guess my inclination is to be like okay I don't know if I have necessarily anything to contribute to this conversation um uh you know whereas like with in other situations there might be like it, it just depends if I have a POV that's like interesting or that is kind of like uh, you know, related to like my experience as a Muslim woman or as an Arab woman or whatever, that I would then be like, okay, this is something new that no one has <laughs> has said before. So let me say it. Um, and obviously it has to be funny and do well, like, you know? Um, so yeah. So I feel like that's kind of like my thought process when it is commenting on this, but yeah, like it's similar to what's happening right now. Um, in Russia and Ukraine as well, you know, like there's, um, you know, a, a lot of times I'll just be like, okay, I, I don't want to say much on this because I don't, you know, as opposed to like maybe something like Palestine, like I could for sure talk about that more. Yeah. From, like I lived experience and from something that my community has kind of um, been very vocal about for so long. So yeah, I guess I, I try and assess it based on like, I don't, do I know enough about it to say anything? Not even like from a, from a, you know, like I need to know my place, but more so from like, a, how you need to know a lot about something to like craft a joke about it or, you yeah. know, comment on it. And then also, is it going to be, yeah, from a POV that like people haven't heard before. Those are usually like 
my two ways in, I think. And I mean, audiences are always smarter than we give them credit for. Audiences can tell if you're tackling something that's a big and sort of difficult topic like that, and you didn't put in the work and you don't know what you're referencing, audiences can smell that right out of the gate. And I mean, you know, going back to some of those parallels, I mean, when you look at what was happening to Muslim Americans and Canadians post 9-11, we're sort of seeing the same thing happen again with Asian Americans and Asian Canadians post COVID. Everybody's just, you know, there's that whole finger pointing like you, you did this. And we're seeing this ugliness sort of happen again. And it's also, I mean, like you mentioned Ukraine, obviously that's the huge thing we're all talking about right now. There's weird parallels there too, where it's like, okay, you're allowed to be mad about this conflict, but you aren't allowed to be mad about this one. There's a very biased thing there. Yeah. Like, oh, we want, you know, I mean, U.S. intervention is a whole other thing, but like, you know, it's like, oh, we have to help these white refugees. But then when everything was happening in Syria and everything was happening, I don't know, like the U.S. invasion of Iraq or Afghanistan, it was like, "Mm, we're not seeing like, you know what I mean? We're not going to say anything. So there's also like, I mean, I, I try and give myself room and to be frustrated and like annoyed and, and like, I could be vocal about it on my private, like not my private, my social media, my personal social media, but then like on stage, I feel like, uh, yeah, I can't just rant. Like it, it has to be also has to be funny. So it's like, I have to be over it enough to be able to make a joke about it and then, you know, craft it in a way that is actually advancing the narrative that I want to advance and not like punching down or anything like that. Cause that's not what I'm trying to say either. You know, and I mean? Mean, you know, and you, you, you come along at a time in comedy where there, you know, we were talking to Cedric Newman earlier in the show about doing Kenny Robinson's Nubian show. And, you know, for 25 years that gave black Canadian comics a stage to play on when we didn't see them on festivals, we didn't see them on TV growing up. This was a stage and an audience that didn't exist anywhere else. You came right. up in it, you know, you came up doing comedy when there, you weren't following anybody's blueprint, like comics like yourself, Noor Hadidi, Hodo Hersey, Iman, none of you had sort of a trailblazer that came first where you went, oh, there's tons of Muslim female comedians out there talking about this stuff. Right. Nobody was doing it. And you came up in the age of, you know, Islamophobia, this post 9-11 world, doing stand-up, which I, I mean, what was your family's reaction to you going, I'm going to be a comedian? <laughs> Oh my God. Well, I mean, I don't even think I approached comedy with that much confidence to be like, I'm going to be a comedian. I think I was like, okay, let me just try this and see if we like it. Like, and then, and I didn't tell anyone. I kept it hidden from my parents. I lied to them. I, uh, I took a class at Second City, Toronto. I told them I was taking a night class, but I didn't say at which school, you know what I'm saying? Cause I was also doing yeah. my master's. Uh, so and then I think like people started calling me comedian. I was like, no, 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 no it's not that serious. Like, no, 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 it's just like a small, it's just a hobby. It's just a whatever. And then, yeah, this year I was like, all right, I'm quitting my engineering job and we're going all in and I'm moving to New York. And my parents were like, no, so yeah, <laughs> they, were, they were super upset. I think they were just so scared. They're very scared. They're scared of me like throwing away in their eyes, my entire education, my entire life as of this point, like, you know, my whole engineering degree and master's degree and career and stability, like they're, so they're scared. They're scared that, 
um, look, it's very layered. It's, it's like, um, we're scared that you're financially not going to be okay. And we're scared that you are selling yourself, like you're selling your faith and you're selling your soul almost for like materialism and success in this world. And, uh, and then there's also like the elitism, uh, cultural aspect where it's like, oh, but comedy is not a dignified thing like what are you a gesture right. like, you know what I mean that's what my mom says to everyone she thinks I'm you know just like uh like my dad for sure thinks I'm a sex worker and like stuff like that like <laughs> they just definitely, nothing wrong with that but I'm just saying that this is their impression of yeah and so uh and they hate that it's like in bars where people are drinking and it's at night and it's in the dark they hate like so many so many things um but yeah so I've just kind of like made peace with that like okay they're not gonna like this in almost many contexts but it's just another thing for me to say you know like I know you guys will come along like you guys will get on board probably when you see it be successful and I have no doubt that it will be so it's kind of like I have to I have to almost fuel my own um motivation and validation and reassurance like I can't lean on uh, my fam my parents at least for that but but my like a couple of my siblings are supportive so that's really validating <laughs> that, well and I mean I think you know as and as far as a wider audience go I think we are going to see this cultural thing now where comedy is I think going to have sort of another boom again where people sort of look at it as such a necessary needed profession because We've all been stuck in this news cycle for a couple of years. It's been pandemic and war and da, 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 and all this social upheaval. Mm -hmm. We know that everything we watch on the news is skewed towards ratings or skewed towards a specific audience. It's really more entertainment focused. You know, we've all been stuck on social media reading the same stuff. I think we're going to see this. It's going to be sort of like 20 years ago when podcasts were a thing and comedy became a thing that you go watch live again. It sort of became popular and needed again. I think we're going to see that happening again post pandemic because people need to sort of break free of all this same stuff and, and hear true points on things again and be able to laugh at all this scary stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, like people have been saying how, you know, don't forget that in our, in our like most, scary time like you you turn towards artists at the end you know you want to see your feelings reflected in some in some way um and comedies yeah comedy is a great way to do that it's a great I think it's yeah like what Cedric said about it being a time capsule or like um you know your your own stand-up and your own work like this is a screenshot of a time in my life and I think that the album was so important for me because I was like this is you know I I have moved uh, uh, past the hijab but it was a huge part of my life and it influenced all of my comedy almost and so I had to basically um I wanted to just capture all of that and you know put it out there and and have it be something that all of us can consume and then basically make room for the next chapter and I feel like uh with with comedy like we're able to do that with world events as well Exactly. There we go. That's a perfect time to cut to break. We're going to come back with more Salma Hindi and the new album, Born on 9-11, right here on Inside Jokes. Hey, this is Habib Siam. You're listening to Inside Jokes. If you don't get it, you don't get it. In the sheets, it was
Welcome back to Inside Jokes right here on 640 Toronto and of course streaming North America wide, planet Earth wide in fact on the Global News Radio Network. We are talking to comedian Salma Hindi with the brand new album Born on 9-11, which by the way, so Salma right now you're splitting your time between East Coast, West Coast, you're doing LA and New York. Um, no, I'm mostly based in New York, but I, I'm just doing like a long trip right now, like a three week trip in LA. Um, but then I will be back. Um, I have to go to the Halifax comedy festival end of April and then I'm going to head back to New York. So excellent. So still dipping up for some festival dates in Canada, which by the way, we were talking about this earlier in the show, cause it's been sort of this push and pull for the last two seasons of this show where festivals are going to come back. No, wait, no, they aren't. They're coming back, but it's all digital. This year, this summer, which of course in Canada, it's peak festival season. You get Hubcap, Halifax, of course, the big beast that is JFL is coming back full form. So it's so great to finally see the festivals and the clubs this season actually coming back to what they were two years ago. Right. Yeah. It's super exciting. Um, Yeah. I think Halifax had to reschedule two years in a row. Uh, So yeah. So I'm excited to finally go. It's excellent. To, and I mean, you know, before the break, you were talking about how, yes, this album is sort of it's it's a, a screenshot, as you put it, of you in this time, your material in this time, the world around you as a comic in this time. When you're leading up to something like that, though, and I know during the pandemic was probably a strange time to prep an album because mm-hmm. most of the stages where you would go and just hone, 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 just kind of got cut in half and shut down. But I mean, typically when you're working on an album like this and you want it to be a very specific thing, and this is a capture of this moment in time. So you're going out there, you're honing these sets, you're really polishing this stuff. After you finally put something like this out, do you have this moment where you go, okay, now I can just go out and just riff now and just work on some new stuff and just have fun, just freestyling it a little bit now. Yeah. I mean, it's so interesting because, um, I was like under so much pressure. It was exactly like what you were saying. I'm honing my material. I'm honing my material. I can't try anything new. We're honing it for the album. That's the major focus of this. But then immediately after I recorded the album, I was like, okay, I'm ready to start performing on stage without the hijab. Like I'm, I'm prepared to do that. I'm prepared to enter that phase. And so then I started that. And now all my focus became being like, okay, now I have to see which of my material works and which doesn't work. Like I almost felt like I was starting stand up from scratch. Right. Um, but with, with experience, but I, I, in my mind, I was like, none of my material could work. I could have like zero content and this is terrifying. So I was like, okay, let me try and perform all my material and see like what works, what doesn't work. And then take out, you know, like remove from my roster of bits, the ones that no longer apply. So that became my focus for, I think a month. Cause it was like end of November not even, I think like a couple of weeks because then uh, the pandemic uh, happened. Sorry, um, the like the re the re uh, appearance of oh, COVID, yeah. the twentieth wave or whatever it was. Yeah, exactly <laughs> happened, and then shows shut down. And then I, uh, I moved to New York and then in New York, I was like, all right, we can't risk it. None of these people know me. I feel like I'm showcasing at every show. So now I'm just going to stick to my tried and true. And so I feel like, and now I'm in LA and I'm kind of doing that as well. So I feel like I haven't really had a chance to like riff and, and actually try out new material. Although there was like one bit that I really wanted to try in New York that I had been trying. Cause I was like, finally, I'm in a city where nobody knows me and nobody knows anyone in my life. So I can talk about everyone. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Hey, so, Sam, yeah. Um, how do your parents, as you were saying in the last segment, because they're so you know focused on security within the industry and there's, 
you know, none of the advantages you would get in a regular job with, you know, health insurance or anything like that. How do they feel or even do they even acknowledge that now you're getting to work with like a comedy icon like Chelsea Handler? Mm-hmm. Have you kind of explained the significance of what that means to someone kind of breaking in, you know, like yeah. making a mark in the industry? Um, I, I try... I try not like I try to explain a little bit like I, I tried to explain to my mom last week I was like oh like there's some exciting things happening and I was trying to tell her but she was like literally dreading it like she was like <laughs> like I, I don't know like I mentioned acting and she's like you're gonna act and she was so upset like she's in her mind she's just like oh another thing that I'm gonna have to explain to the community and my family like my extended family members um but then when my uncle was leaving dinner he was like by the way I saw that you were on the pj on the private jet and my mom was like what and then he's like yeah didn't you see like she posted that she was on the private jet and then he pulled up my post with Chelsea and he was like look at her she's sitting on a private jet and then my mom was like oh okay like tell me what <laughs> but like like that's what got their attention basically yeah. yeah um so I was like whatever I'll take it if if so let's be okay. let's be clear you're doing you're opening up for her now so I opened for her for five shows uh, last week. I'm opening for her on her Canadian tour, basically. Excellent. Amazing. Yeah. So we did five shows uh, a couple weeks ago, and then we're going to do another four um, in August. And then uh, there's another one later in the year. So yeah. fantastic. See, and it does. then they can look at that. Your family can look and go, okay, success. <laughs> you know, stability here. And especially coming after all this, uh, Salma. Before before we do let you go, uh, where can where can folks download this new album, Born on 9/11, and find you on your social, upcoming dates, all that good stuff? Yeah, um, you can follow me on Instagram at Salma.Hindi. Uh, my website SalmaHindi.com, which has the link to my album, and you could literally stream it from any platform you can think of. Um, and uh, and yeah, you can follow me on Instagram. I usually post all of my upcoming shows on uh, my website. I'm going to be in LA for the next couple of weeks, and then I'm going to go to the Halifax Comedy Festival, and then I'll be back in New York. So. Um, and I, I have one one show in Toronto also at the end of April. But yeah, check my website for all those details. Excellent. Perfect. Check out Salma Hindi and don't forget to get that new album born on 9-11. So glad to hear you're out there crushing it again and back to live shows and now working with Chelsea and just sort of all over the map. Salma Hindi, thank you so much for joining us and for our listeners at home. Don't forget, you can listen to all of our episodes right back to the beginning on Global News Online. We'll be back next week. Hi, this is Alicia Carusi. And you're listening to my aunt, Sandra Carusi's Comedy Rx. This week's Comedy Rx is Salma Hindi. That personal. What I'm wearing on my head is called the hijab. Uh, my brother-in-law's brother asked me, when are you going to take off the hibeb? Um, which hibeb in Arabic means nonsense. So his question was offensive for multiple reasons. <laughs> hibeb is also what my parents call my comedy career. So <laughs> they have a lot more in common with racists than they thought. Uh, I can take my hijab off in front of three groups of people. My family, my female friends, and my future husband. Anyone? <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> I, I own over 300 hijabs, uh, but I only wear the same five. It's like white women in yoga pants. <laughs> they own 20 pairs, but they sleep, breathe, and ask to speak to the manager and only one. <laughs> someone asks me do you really need 16 shades of beige hijab i'm like do i really need you muhammad is the question you're the non-essential one here